0: Hello everyone and welcome into the Magic the Gathering unofficial audiobooks. I am Phil Dawson, your humble narrator, and just checking in to say how great it is to be on to the next book, Wrath and Storm, right? Really love the setting so far and just so you all know, I'm like reading this real time, so I don't really know what is gonna happen, what's happening until it's read. Um, and as you know, if you've been following, you know, I'm a one-man band, so I, I don't spend a whole lot of time editing this thing. And just take the time to try my best and put it out there. And, you know, the response has been incredible. Uh, we set some goals for this year, and, like, we already hit them. And so we just set the next ones, so and we're going to keep pushing. Uh, if you didn't know, we hit over 300,000 listens at the time of this recording, So, which is just wild. I, I Actually, I can look up exactly how many we're at. Um, and this is, like, only on Spotify. So there's, there's more than what, you know, actually is... Listed so 314,000. Wow, wow, that's amazing. Um, and you know, uh, we're it's wild. We're closing in on 500 five-star ratings on the Spotify app, which just makes me so happy. It's so funny too because I remember how cool it was just trying to get that perfect 50. So we've grown significantly, and you know, I have to give a shout out to all my new patrons. And if I'm you know, if I'm being honest, I kind of lost track after the America trip and was so focused on this like loyalty rewards club that I've been trying to keep that in order and yada, yada, yada. We got a lot of new patrons. So uh, let's give the shout outs to those that joined after the America trip. And if I didn't give you a shout out at some point, just let me know. okay? Um, You know, and I think at that point too, we were trying to hit 30 patrons. I can't remember, but we're over that now. Uh, We have 37. So let's, what the heck, try to hit 50. Right? By the end of the year. Meaning, if you like what you hear, well, you can support me. I would love to have you as a patron. It's what keeps this thing going. You know, I've been doing the Patreon thing for a little over a year. And we just added our loyalty rewards program. So regardless of what amount you sign up for after a certain consecutive period of time of support, you get something from me. We've sent stickers and pins and uh, mugs, can koozies t-shirts and you know looking for designs for the next round of big stuff and i got a couple of messages from a couple of patrons who are all about helping out with making this thing even better and again just being honest here i just want it to be cool for you if you choose to support me um i have some ideas that i want to get around to but you know as my patrons know we got a lot going on my daughter almost two love spending time with her she's so fun watching her grow. My business here in Japan, it's a beer brewery. We've been working on this thing for like 10 years. We're set to open in September. I'm farming every day in a hop field. And, you know, just like the weight of all of this is on my shoulders. And this really is an awesome little break from reality into a fun, you know, little thing that we all get to share. And so, you know, what I'm trying to say is your support is meaningful um, it means a lot and I really appreciate it. We got multiple tiers you can sign up for. I, I try to, along with the chapters, to keep you updated on what is going on in my life. And again, maybe we'll get to some behind the scenes things or some live broadcasts will come around. Anyway, you know, all of it. I just want to make it cool for you. So uh, let's like read off a list of some of our recent patrons just to say thank you for joining up. Uh, I'm going to list them off now just to go through them. I think so. We're looking at. Those who joined in uh, April of this year. So, I don't know. I think we got Zachary, Evan, and Robert. Um, That was a... Zach joined as the Shadowbox Cube Eldrazi. Evan joined as a Content Human. Robert joined as a Content Human. Jacob also joined up. Thank you, Jacob. Content Goblin. Joshua signed up. Actually, I think he increased his... He he went from a content human up to a content planeswalker, if you could believe it. Marcos is a content goblin. Nicholas, content goblin. Uh, who else here? David, content human. Mislabeled, content human. Slade joins as a content angel or demon. Michael, content human. Gabriel, content planeswalker. And Walt, our most recent joinee as a content human. So, all of you, thank you so much. It's it's amazing. I'm so glad to have you. And again, if you're listening and you want to be a patron, just head to patreon.com, look me up, Phil Dawson, pick your level of support, start earning rewards. It's pretty simple. We have a lot of books to get through. And I intend to do this as long as I can. And we'll just keep growing. Hopefully, you know, it happens. So jump aboard. Join the ride. Also, our Discord has become, you know, like my go-to place for magic-related stuff. It's turned into a Nice sharing of new info posts, photos, etc and you can you're all welcome to join there. That link is in the show notes and follow me on Twitter on Instagram both at Phil and Sendai. You can also see what I'm doing there. I really love hearing from listeners. It always makes my day. so if you are enjoying this, let me know. I love it. Okay, let's get to the next story in the anthology. I think you're ready've been blabbing long enough and I think this is about a big burly muscular cowman. Let's do it. Tom Garth's Tale. Hanovi Braddock.
1: In the quarters of my birth, the labyrinths of Talroom, the priestesses burned shrine lamps for the gods and goddesses. In the hearth of my family before our doorway hung with beads of red, green, and blue. Two lamps burned. One was for Kindea, the goddess of learning, and the other for Toran, god of judgment. When I was still so young that I only dreamed of having horns, my mother spoke thus to me. Tan, Every day you see the two lamps burning outside of our home, turn your heart to Kindea's lamp, my son, to learning. And turn away from Toran. Leave justice to the gods who see more than we do. She sought to bend me from the nature of my clan, but I was born three beads, as was she. In the end, justice meant more to her, to me, to all our clan, than peace of tal And so there was rebellion within the halls. War. That is not the story I wish to tell. I only mean to make it clear that the fires of judgment burned hot in me, and that was why I, of all the crew of Weatherlight, did not want to ask this Gerard to return to our ship. I stood watching him as we sailed over the forest mists of Llanowar. It's hard to judge the age of humans, but I knew they got their beards later than minotaurs grew their horns, and Gerard already had a beard the first time he joined our crew. He was not that a child, nor was he one now. I could grant him no excuse of youth. Indeed, he wielded a sword well, and had an accurate hand and eye with the throwing knives he wore. He had accomplishments, born of practice, born of years, but he had not yet grown wise. Blast these clouds, he said, gripping the railing with his strange human hands. And why did the hands of Hannah and Orym not seemed strange to me. They were also human, but I liked them. He squinted as if that would give him a clearer view of the land below. The low-hanging mists let us see only the ground that was directly beneath us. There must be a place to land here somewhere. We waste time, I said. I did not speak his language well, so I kept my utterances short and simple. Perhaps he thought me simple, too. Sissé needs us. (laughs) We need Miri first thought I made that clear. She left us, I said, as you did. He turned to look at me. I'm back, he said, as if that were proof enough to banish my doubts. We don't need her. One more time, Tongarth, he said as if he were explaining to a child. Captain Sisse's captive in wrath. We don't know how to get there. We can't possibly find the place until the ship's Thran crystals encoded for it. I don't have magic enough for that. Miri was always better with magic than I. So was any mud wizard. So was any kitchen sorcerer. His jaw tightened for a moment, then he laughed. You touch a truth there, he said. He patted the knives that were strapped across his chest. I was ever the better master of a blade. I pointed off the bow. There, I said. I turned and shouted across the deck. Hannah, fifteen degrees to starboard. Behind me the window glass of the bridge. She signaled that she had heard me. Weatherlight's sails extend sideways from our ships, and they rippled as Hannah adjusted our course. Some have said the weatherlight looks like a flying fish. I've never seen a flying fish, I would say. Instead that our ship is like a goblin's throwing dart with white bat wings. Ahead. Slow I called. Tongarth What? I glared at him. No doubt he was about to remind me that he was the master of the Weatherlight now, but he held his tongue. The engine had been humming quietly, now it dropped to a whisper. The mists began to break beneath us as we flew over the meadow. ''Hannah, take us down!'' he ordered. ''Belay that!'' I shouted. He gave me a sharp look and I said, ''Captain Sisse would circle first!'' Indeed, Hannah was already steering a wide arc around the clearing. Far edges of the meadow were still obscured by mist, but there was a strange shadow near the trees. I pointed at it. Is that a funeral mound?'' I pointed at it. Is that a funeral mound? Gerard wondered as we approached. A barrow? It did look like a mound of dirt, one shaped to look like a man lying on his face, rounded back of the head, the ridge of spine along his broad back and the powerful curve of the buttocks. Mist obscured the legs, but beyond that the heels jutted up. And what I thought was a trick of the mist, the shoulders seemed to swell, then settle. We were flying toward the head. Now I could see a green-clad rider approaching the mound. Llanowar, elf, said Gerard. Mary's as good as found. Didn't I tell you? Look, I said, pointing at the mound. I thought it had moved again. Hannah, Gerard called. Take us down! The whisper of the engine grew softer still. As we slowed, Hannah tipped the bow up to keep us aloft. We began to descend, still on a course toward elf and earth mound. The rider's horse was skittish, shying sideways half a step for every step forward. The elf unslung a bow from his shoulder and set fire to an arrow tip. With a warrior's elation, he loosed the missile. Flame arced through the air and landed with a hiss on the crown of the muddy head. The rider turned his mount. For a moment both horse and rider seemed frozen by the sight of weatherlight descending. Then the mound shifted behind them. The horse's nostrils flared and it raced across our shadow toward the trees in the far end of the meadow. I heard a rush of indrawn air, and in the bushes near the giant head stirred as in a wind. The head lifted itself up from the ground. White eyes stared from the earthen face. Below was a cavernous mouth, one shaped for perpetual howl of hunger. Roots dangled from its lip. Milk of the mothers! I cried in my own tongue. Great muddy arms moved, fingers clutching at the ground with a sound like a mudslide. The creature shook its hill shoulder. It's an Aberoth! Hard about! Gerard shouted. Full thrust! Hard about! The engine hummed, then rose to a loud whine. The ship pitched to portside. I heard the goblin squee yelp in a surprise below decks. Gerard lost his footing, snatched at the handrail, missed, and would have gone sliding across the deck. I grabbed him by the collar. The ship rightened. astern. the ground rumbled. The giant was on its feet. Weatherlight shook as her engine thrusted and we picked up speed. The Amberoth took one tentative step, then a more confident one, and then another. On its fourth step, it began to run, towards us. We were overtaking the rider, and Gerard said, We don't need to be faster than the monster, we just need to be faster than that elf. He looked at the Amberoth, and had covered half of the distance to the forest in a few strides. In that race, my bet would be on the dirt, if I were a betting man. It's not chasing the elf, I told him. But the blank eyes were upon us, not the rider. Near the first trees, the monster passed the elf, almost stepping on him. The monstrous fingers reached for the sails of Weatherlight. The claws looked like the tips of lightning shattered trees. They almost stagged us, then stopped. War cries erupted from the forest below. Elvish warriors, mounted and afoot, came streaming into the meadow. Something stirred among the trees, making the canopy ripple. War machines, I said. Even as we sped away, they grew before our eyes. These machines of tree trunks lashed together with vines. The vines rippled and twisted and tugged at the trunks. As muscle moves bone, thus did the vines haul the tree trunks and articulate them. It's like watching a scaffold that builds itself. The machines took the shape of headless, legless golems, and then the battle receded into the mist. The engines were still shrilling. Gerard shouted, Reduce thrust! Level off! but Hannah could not have heard him above the whiting engines. I signaled the orders to her, weatherlight leveled, and the engines dropped to a hum. Then a whisper. My hand still gripped his collar. He said, Thanks for catching me, but you can let go now. When you order a maneuver, think of the ship, how it will move, I said, releasing him. In short, he said, grinning, Hold on. I did not return his smile. What did you call that thing? I told him of the Arboroths, how some years they grow up out of the soil near Llanowar villages. When they awaken, they live but a short while, but in that time they wreak havoc. It is the custom of the elves to assemble for battle near the ripening Arboroths, to provoke them as they wake and lead them away from the villages. If the Arboroths can be occupied with battle long enough, they shrink and die. When I was done, Gerard said, Where did you learn this? I chose my words carefully, like choosing a blade. "'From the elf, Ruffellos,' I said. Then slowly I added, "'He told me such things as friend is want to tell friend.' Gerard gave me a long look. "'Ruffellos was my friend, too.' "'Is that why you made a mockery of his death?' Anger burned in his eyes. "'Ruffellos was my friend ere he was yours. You understand nothing!' "'His hand touched the half of his sword. "'Have a care where your hand strays,' I told him. Even though I knew his accomplishments as a man of arms... I insulted him by turning my back and came face to face with Orym. A fringe of brown hair peeked from beneath the headdress she always wore with its blue agal. Her eyes, like her hair, were brown and somehow soft. I do not know how it is that anyone, Minotaur or human, can frown with anger and yet show gentleness in her eyes, but that was her expression. There was always, in her dress and in her manner, a softness to Orum, though she was a semi-woman born of the hard deserts. A word with you she said in the Minotaur tongue. For one whose mouth was not shaped for the language, her accent was excellent. Most Minotaur speaking humans, and they are rare, know only the Herloon dialect. Oram knew the inflections of Talroom. She spoke well enough for to make me long for home. Then follow me, I said. I stumped back to the bridge and took the controls from Hannah. As much as Oram was outwardly soft, Hannah's manner and dress were trim and efficient, She tied her hair behind her like a warrior. In fact, she could handle a sword, but she was an archaeologist and a navigator. I told her, go help him who has not the eyes for it. Find another meadow. Hannah looked out at Gerard, who was at the railing again, peering into the grayness. He's unaccustomed to seeing the world from the air, she said. He's unaccustomed to many things, I said. Loyalty among them. Hannah went to the hatchway. She said, we need him. When she was gone, Oram said, With your iciness to Gerard, you freeze Hannah too. You know of her feelings for him. No, I said. I do not. She may have felt something for him once before he left us, but I do not know what she feels for him now. She must have her doubts.
0: You have more than doubts, Tangarth. I heard how you attacked him with the memory of her fellows. Gerard left us because the death of his friend
1: had wounded him. Did the death of Raffellos not mark me as well? More than that? Rafellos sacrificed himself for the sake of the ship and crew. To abandon Weatherlight, as Gerard did, was to abandon the memory of Raffellos, to rob his death of meaning. Do you think Gerard a coward? I could forgive a coward. He's something more dangerous to us. He's unreliable. And his first command is that we should come to Llanowar to recover his friend Miri. Why? We might find conjurers of her equal for hire in a hundred ports. She's every bit as unreliable as Gerard. Tongarth, Gerard
0: is heir to the legacy. He is, by rights, master of the ship and its contents, even more than Captain Sissé is.
1: How can such as he have so much importance? I bellowed. How? Sissé is bold. I would follow her to the corridors of pain where Tor Gore's the wicked ones. But Gerard, the man has not the will to face reality. He resists what must be.
0: Orm smiled. Tangarth, even as I would begin to speak to you, you say the very thing that must be said. Now there is nothing left for me to say. I do not take your meaning. Think upon your words, my friend. In them is
1: wisdom. He resists what must be. She was much given to riddles. She left me with those words hanging in the air. When we landed, the ship's support spines dug black furrows into the meadow grass. With the engine shut off, weatherlight listed on the soft ground. Gerard assembled us on the canted deck. Hannah, Tongarth and I will locate Miri. We're here without an invitation, and the elves may not exactly welcome us.
0: Oram, you stand watching the bridge. If elves approach, I don't care how friendly they look, I want this ship back in the air. Oram said, but I... I know... "'You're a healer, not a ship's pilot, but I'll need both Tongar and Hannah with me "'unless you prefer to pick
1: up a sword and come in Hannah's place.'" Orm could defend herself if she had to, but the only blade she ever practiced with was a scalpel, and that only rarely. Her healing arts had more to do with uh, smokes and balms and essential oils. I said to her, "'I'll remind you of the controls.'" "'Squee!' said Gerard, and the goblin who had been glancing nervously at the forest jumped at the sound of his name.
0: "'I was listening!'
1: I didn't say you weren't. You help Orm stand watch. Tell her if the elves are coming.
0: Lost elves? They don't like goblins. They won't cure poor me.
1: We won't let them, said Orm, laying a gentle hand on the goblin's shoulder. Her touch calmed him a little. Then to the hulking silver statue behind us, Gerard said, "Card, your job is to guard the ship. I won't fright, said the golem. I know. Just walk the decks and look menacing. The silverhead nodded, and so the landing party set out, leaving Weatherlight in the hands of an inexperienced pilot, a cowering lookout, and a pacifist guard. <music> Gerard walked in front, in the middle went Hannah, who watched her compass as she walked. My sense of direction was confused as soon as the trees had first closed off our view of the meadow, and we'd come quite a way since then. I said, "How do you hope to find Miri? I hope that she finds us, said Gerard. If not, we'll find an elven village. I did not think this much of a plan. We walked a while longer before I said, This is Lanowar. We could walk right into a village and not know it. There was a soft laughter ahead of us. A voice said, One who his eyes can see. Gerard halted. I hefted my axe, squinting into the forest shadows. I saw no one. Hannah put away her compass and said, We come in peace. She repeated the sentence in the elvish tongue. Hannah's not Orm's match is a linguist, but she has a smattering of tongues. Then she said it again. We've come in peace.
0: Clearly, said the voice. I note the peaceful way your horned friend
1: beckons with his axe-blade. Tongarth, said Gerard, stole the axe. But even as he said this, he folded his arms in a way that was meant to be casual, but let his fingers rest on a knife-handle. I lowered the axe, but I had no way to stow it. And would he have me stand defenseless before an apparent sentinel whom none of us could see? We come looking for a friend of mine, Gerard said. "Miri, by name. She and I knew one who was kindred to this forest. Raffellos,
0: he was called. Many have come to this forest speaking names, said the voice. But to know a name is a poor vouchsafe. Then take us to her. Rafter. (laughs) <laughs> yes, and show intruders where our village lies. She'll speak for us if you summon her. Oh? I have issued summons already. I have raised alarm enough.
1: I had heard nothing and seen nothing, but I could feel the truth of his words. I peered at the forest around us, seeing nothing but trees, yet I knew. The speaker stepped forward, his face emerging from shadow. Once he was visible, I couldn't understand why I had not seen him before. He hadn't been hiding, yet somehow he'd been hidden. Vines clung to his clothes and white hair, almost as if it were made of them, and he carried a staff that sprouted flower buds and new leaves.
0: The forest has carried my voice,
1: the old elf said,
0: and my summons has been answered. You are surrounded. Lay down your weapons. You're not exactly
1: making us feel welcome, Gerard said. He didn't move his hands. The druid speaks true. I said. We are watched by many eyes. I feel it. Yet even when I admitted this, my fingers would not uncurl and let my axe fall to the ground. In the halls of Tallroom, we would die before surrendering our arms. In this one thing, Gerard and I were alike. Death was all around us, yet we were both frozen more by pride than by fear. Hannah unbuckled her sword belt and laid the sheathed blade across the root of a tree. From above, a feminine voice said, Leave it to the lady to
0: show some sign of manners. As for you, Gerard, if you draw one of those knives, you won't live long enough to regret it.
1: Looking up, Gerard let his hands drop to his sides. Miri, Something moved in the trees. I glimpsed golden fur, dappled with black spots. The cat warrior dropped to the ground almost silently to stand alongside the druid. Her tail twitched from side to side. Tangarth? she said. When
0: an elf in Lanowar tells you you're surrounded, he's probably telling the truth.
1: I do not doubt it, I said, but still could not let the axe fall. But let us give you evidence, said the druid. Show yourselves, sons and daughters of Llanowar. From all sides, elves emerged in that same mysterious way that the druid had. Each stepping forward into view, every elf held a bow, every one had an arrow knocked. Leaves rustled, I looked up to see more elves in the branches, and still I gripped my axe.
0: That one won't learn manners, even as a dozen arrows point the way,
1: Mirri said, waving her hand at me.
0: But I'll vouch even for him. Your word is your life, Mirri, said the druid. My life, she agreed, that Gerard, Hannah, and Tangarth are no enemies to Lanowar. The
1: druid nodded then stepped forward.
0: When you speak Miri's name, it means nothing to us. When she speaks yours, it means all.
1: You are welcome here. Gerard said, Our thanks. Then grinned at Miri. You do like a dramatic entrance. How long were you watching? The cat warrior's green eyes narrowed with pleasure. A while. We weren't in any real danger then? said Hannah as she retrieved her sword. The elves had lowered their bows, some of the younger ones were crowding close to examine us. Oh, we were in danger, said Gerard. Wouldn't be fun if the danger weren't real, right, Miri? Weatherlight, I reminded him. Yes, the ship, said Gerard. It's aground in the meadow. He waved in the general direction. Actually, said Miri, it's more that way. Hannah frowned and brought out her compass, but Mary clicked her tongue. You won't have much success reckoning with that, she said. Not in Llanowar. Grinning, one of the young elves tapped the compass glass, then laughed to see the astonishment on Hannah's face. He touched it and the needle went spinning. To Gerard, Mary said, Weatherlight will be unmolested. I
0: can send word to Captain Sisay if you like.
1: Gerard opened his mouth, but I cut him off. Sissy has been kidnapped. We must free her. Will you come? Yes, and we're away with you. No, and we're away without you. Answer now. Miri's tail flicked again. Gerard started to speak, and this time it was Miri who cut him off.
0: The Minotaur asks a question, and I'll give him an answer. The village where I have lived these seasons past is close to here. Arboroth was just discovered
1: growing nearby. At mention of the monster, the elves grew stiff and exchanged glances.
0: There is not time enough to build war machines to distract and destroy it, she continued. So the elves must fight with their arrows and their courage. I will help them.
1: We go without you, then, I said, turning away.
0: When the Arboth ripens,
1: we can destroy it together, Miri said. With Weatherlight. I turned back to face her. Sissy needs us now. We go without you. So you'd have Miri abandon her new friends, kin to Rafaelos? asked Gerard. No! I bellowed, and the elves nearest me jumped away. More softly, I said. No. Drophelis was my friend. Miri does right. She stays to help the kin of one who was brave. That is well chosen. But must we tarry here also? Who knows what Captain Sissé suffers.
0: Tungarth is right,
1: Hannah said. Gerard stared steadily at the Cat Warrior. How long until the Arboth ripens? Two days, she said. Gerard looked at Hannah, then at me. We stay and help. That's my decision. I opened my mouth, but he raised his hand and said, I have decided. I felt my hands clutch the handle of my axe. I thought of the words Orrin wanted me to ponder. He resists what must be. Did she think those words would soften my heart? Gerard knew we must hasten to Sisse's aid, but he would have us dawdle here two days. He resisted what must be indeed. The next day we flew gentle circles over the village where the Arboroth was growing. The village, or so the elves who flew with us said, was in the stand of trees close beside the growing monster. I could see no signs of a village in those trees, but I lacked the elven eye. However, it took no elven eye to see the monster. From the air it was hard to understand how the elves, who knew their own forest so well, could have missed the mounds of swelling earth in the little clearing so close at hand, till the thing was nearly grown. There was a hillock there already tallest of the three elves
0: said. We knew an Arboroth was spouting only when the mound began to change its shape a few days ago.
1: And can you not dig away the earth to kill it while it sleeps?" asked Gerard. I had long ago asked the question of Raphelos when he told me of the Arboroths, but to dig away the mound only drives the white threads of mycelium deeper, where the Arboroth will form of stone instead of soil. The monster will take more time to form then, but it will emerge stronger, bigger, and longer-lived. Such was the answer of the elves to Gerard. The plan, as Miri hatched it, was thus. The elves would draw the walking Arboroth away from the village. Without machines of war, the elves could not hope to stand against the creature for long. But, ere it had borne down upon them, weatherlight would fly close to the Arboroth. Elves upon the upper deck would harrow it with arrows, drawing its attention. Then, lest it should knock us from the air, Miri would loose some spell on it, a lightning bolt that would distract it again, drawing it close to her.
0: Then the elves will attack again, said Mirri. Then Weatherlight. Then I again, and so, by trading turns, we may hope to keep the wrath of the Arbroth from falling square upon us. In time it will
1: shrink, grow weaker, and die. And if the Arboroth turns not from one foe to the next? I said, what then? Gerard's laughter boomed, though I could hear the strain in it. He was ill at ease, pretending. <laughs> what then? Then we stand and fight the thing as best we can. What else? In Arboroth season,' said the tallest elf. "'Much of our fate goes unchosen.' "'I grunted. "'And what season is there then but Arboroth season?' "'The elf smiled. "'Just so.' "'Another elf said,
0: "'We will plan the best we may. "'Take what comes, be it for good or ill. "'Spring follows winter.' "'Perhaps Gerard may hatch yet a better plan,' said Miri. "'The artifacts in the ship's hold might produce some magical effect. "'What think you,
1: Gerard? "'You're always better than I in the wielding of such devices.' ''Indeed?'' I said. I looked at Gerard. ''He said that he must fetch you, that you would know artifacts, that you could set the Thran crystal for the World of Wrath.'' ''Set a Thran crystal?'' said the Cat Warrior. Gerard was ever the better man with artifacts. My talent is for spells. ''Gerard?'' I said. ''You lied!'' ''No,'' he replied coldly. ''She may yet know better than I how to calibrate the crystal.'' I shook my head until my beads rattled. You lied. Or misled us. The differences between ice and frozen water. I pointed at Miri. You wanted to come for her, so you told us what you thought we must hear. And I left him there with Miri and the elves, who could now doubt him as I did. I relieved Hannah at the bridge. From there I watched Miri and the elves continue talking. Gerard went below decks. In a while, Orm came to see me. You go too far, she said. And so he goes to you and begs your intercession? He lied to us, Orm. No. He
0: hoped that Miri would know what he himself did not.
1: We have lost days. I know. I would lief seek out our captain without his help, without Mary's. I know. I do not trust him, Oram said. He resists what must be. Have you thought upon those words? Indeed, and that is why I do not trust him. You have not thought long enough or hard enough. She left the bridge. We landed in the clearing where the Arboroth still slept. It would not be long in waking, the elves told us. I went to inspect the pivot joints of the mast to check the riggings, and when I was about to look for Squee, the goblin had taken to hiding whenever the elves were aboard and he was neglecting his duties. The bridge wanted sweeping. Gerard paced the deck, a frown on his face. Brooding. Did he expect an apology? I would grant him none. In truth, he did not so much glance at me. Something else troubled his thoughts. He shot out Hannah, walked the deck with her, talking. At last he commanded Carn, the silvery giant, to follow him below decks. They were gone long, doing I knew not what and where the lights hold. When they came onto the deck again, the golem's back was bent beneath a canvas wrapped a burden. Whatever he carried, it was as big as the hulking golem himself. At Gerard's command, Carn took the burden forward to the upper deck where the elvish archers were to harry the arbor off. The ship's planks creaked and bowed beneath the golem's feet. The canvas fell away, and I saw a pyramidal shape of the Thran Forge. George set to roping the pyramid into place, its surface carved with strange glyphs. I noticed that he wore an amulet, a big unwieldy thing. Even from amidships, I could see its design. A golden face with red eyes and a bejeweled mouth. What was it? I did not then know it for the touchstone. I understood the importance of the legacy. I knew Sisse's determination to collect the artifacts that comprised it, but I did not know the names of all or what each of them did. Gerard tied another rope around the base of Weatherlight's foremost lamp. He tugged hard to see that it was secure, but left the rest of that rope coiled upon deck. Beneath the ship, the ground shook. The Arboroth was waking. I had gone to the bridge to ready the ship for launch. Gerard found me there. He was pulling on gloves. When we're aloft, he said, Forget our original plans. Circle in behind the Arboroth close. Come in slow so I can drop down onto its head. Give it to the count of ten, then get away. Fast. What madness was this? I could not find the words to ask him before he had disappeared from the hatchway. He sprinted to the upper deck. The elvish archers had come aboard. With Hannah, they joined Gerard. Orm had come on deck and she went to the railing. Other elves were streaming into the clearing, bows at the ready. And I saw Miri gliding swiftly through the grass to another part of the meadow. Gerard shouted, Get us aloft! I did so. As we rose into the sky, the white-eyed Arboroth raised its face on the ground and howled. What happened next? How fared we in this battle with the Arboroth? (laughs) I'll come to that. But first, did I not say from the beginning that the fires of judgment burned hot in me? It was so. I was born three beads, I still wore the red, blue, and green beads of my clan upon my head, and three beads of Taroom, we have ever been minotaurs who were swift to judge, to condemn. Orm had said to me, he resists what must be. I had not the ears to hear what she meant, but as the Arboroth rose unto its feet, as I circled Weatherlight behind it, I watched Gerard. By some magical means, he had set the pyramidal Thran Forge to glowing. I approached the back of the monster's head, and Gerard shouted something to the elves. He grinned as a ray of light flashed from the forge and showered the Arboroth with sparks. Strange, pale fires flickered across the forge's surface. The surface of the Arboroth began to change from mud and vegetation to something shinier, something smooth and plated. Rivets popped up like pockmarts. Madness, I thought, for this would make the monster stronger. But I did as he said. I slowed the ship, and we hovered over the creature's head. Hannah, peering over the bow, guided me with the hand signals. From the bridge, I could no longer see the Arboroth below us. Gerard threw his rope over the ship's side, he took the rope in his gloved hand and dropped out of sight. I counted. The journey from one to ten seemed to take all day. Then I pressed the engine hard, even before Hannah had signaled. Weatherlight bucked under the strain, then surged. The metal-sheathed Arboroth was looking up at us as we shot past its shoulder. One monstrous hand reached up as if it was to seize and crush the ship. But Gerard sat upon the crown of the Arboroth's head, holding on with one hand and touching the amulet with the other. He chanted. The Arboroth froze. I circled and watched. Hannah explained it to me later. The forge had turned the Arboroth into a creature of artifice. A being, like Karn, that could be switched on or off. The amulet, the touchstone, was the switch pyramid on the foredeck continued to glow. From time to time, the Arboroth began creakily to move. Gerard would touch the amulet again, chant the words, and the Arboroth would freeze once more. And it shrank, and we circled and watched. The Arboroth was smaller and smaller. Gerard rode its head all the way into the ground until the Arboroth had shrunk into dust, into nothingness. Elves shook their bows and cheered, Mirriad conjured a lightning bolt just for a fact, Thunder was a death nail for the Aberoth. He resists what must be. I thought about those words. I thought about Captain Sissé, how she also might have known how to use the forge and the amulet, but would she have known how to use them together? Gerard is no great sorcerer, but he had a touch with the legacy, a touch like no one else aboard Weatherlight would have, not even when we recovered Sissé. He resists what must be. Gerard had run away from the truth, from the sacrifices and the pain that truth demands. So had I. I had judged Gerard, as was my wont, but I had not judged myself. He resists what must be. Oram meant me. I was resisting what must be. Gerard was a man of considerable flaws, but we needed him. Moreover, he needed us to help him become what he must be a man worthy of the legacy. As I landed on the meadow full of celebrating elves, Oram joined me on the bridge. I said, He resists what must be, but what will be, will be. She smiled gently. That doesn't mean I have to like him, I grumbled, nor will I pretend to like him. Again she said nothing, only smiling that smile. We need him, I admitted with a sigh. Orm nodded and left me alone on the bridge again. I yanked hard on the lanyard that rang the ship's bell. I rang impatiently, repeatedly, until Gerard and Riri said their goodbyes to the elves and got on board. We left Lanowar by command of Gerard, master of weatherlight. May he yet grow to fill his boots. Here ends the tale of Tongarth.
0: A dark room. Ilcaster had moved from the floor to a bundle of papers where he perched, chin on his hand as the old man spoke. Dimly, both could hear the patter of rain beating against the windows. The wind outside whirled in an angry gale, and within its moans could sometimes be heard the hiss and clatter of hail. It was as if the heavens themselves were assaulting the library, yet the two figures were so absorbed, one in telling, the other in listening, that they no longer paid attention to the sounds without. I think Gerard must have been really clever, the boy observed. Magic using two artifacts together like that, and he did it to the Arboroth with a touchstone, what Vool had done to Karn once before. The librarian nodded.
1: Yes, perhaps that's where Gerard got his inspiration for that strategy, or uh, perhaps he did have a special way with the legacy, some part of his mind that knew instinctively how each bit fit together to make a unified whole that was greater than the sum of its parts.
0: Ilcaster nodded. Yes, I'm sure that's it. It must have been, after all, he was heir to the legacy. He shifted his legs under him, stretched and nestled down on the floor. The old man, looking at him, was reminded of a kitten curl at the feet of its owner. So now that they had Miri on board, was Weatherlight ready to travel to Wrath and rescue the captain? Ilcaster asked. No. Miri was ready to join the ship, but she was insufficiently skilled in magic to manipulate the crystal that would allow them to plane shift to Wrath. Gerard turned to Hannah, the ship's navigator, but she, too, was unable to manipulate the crystal. They would need a wizard. Hannah's father. Barret, the old man broke off. Is there something the matter with your hearing, boy? He growled testily. Ilcaster started and dropped a piece of parchment at which he'd been staring. I- I'm sorry, master, he said. I was, I was wondering, is this a plan of the ship? The old man took up the parchment and spread it out beneath the glow of the candle. Indeed it is, he grunted. Here, don't move that candle. You might get wax on it. There's sufficient light to see by, even with mild eyes. There. The two heads bent in unison over the parchment, one dark and curly, the other white-haired, with patches of scalp showing through the strands. See now, said the librarian, his fingers danced over the page, touching, indicating, almost stroking. This is the main deck of the ship. Notice that the sails are feathered back over the stern. The bridge was located about two-thirds of the way back along the deck, while the prow of the ship was taken up with the forward cabins. Along the hull were spines for landing and support, so that when the ship put down on land, it wouldn't tip over. Here's the pilot station, and here. His fingers hesitated for a moment. Here's where the power crystals located. Ilcaster nodded. I see. That's what they needed Hannah's father for. The librarian shook his head. Burn might help them, so Hannah said, but. She was reluctant to approach him, since she and her parent had been estranged for years. That sounds terribly sad. Why did father and daughter fight? Well, Baron was a wizard, while Hannah had devoted much of her studies to artifacts. She was convinced that artifacts were far truer art than wizardly magic. Indeed, she held magic in some contempt. She and her father had argued on the subject for many years, but neither had persuaded the other. Ilcaster looked thoughtful. "'I don't think I've heard of Talaria,' he said. "'I don't remember seeing it on any maps. "'Where—' "'You won't find it on maps of Dominaria,' interrupted the librarian. "'In fact, few people have ever been there, "'and in the way to the island is fraught with danger. "'Some say that in past centuries and years beyond count. "'Some great disaster occurred there. "'Many spoke of it, but they avoided it. "'Hannah, though—' knew the way, and Gerard persuaded her that without a wizard, they were defeated before they even started. Reluctantly, she agreed to guide Weatherlight to the island. So Baron joined the company? Well, no, said the master with a knowing frown. Matters turned out a bit differently than Hannah and Gerard expected.